This morning's Bible reading, our first reading, is from Nehemiah, um, from the very last part of chapter 7 and through chapter 8. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled into their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Matthiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadna, Zechariah, and Meshalam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Cherubiah, Jamin, Akab, Shebethai, Hadiah, Mesiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josbad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the, pe- the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered round Ezra, the teacher of the law, to give attention to the words of the law. To give it they found written in the law, which the law had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it through their, throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back, back branches from olive and wild olive trees, and from myrtles, palms and other leafy trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. 
From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Our second reading is from Hebrews. And it is from chapter 13, verses 7 to 14. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking to the city that is to come. Good morning, everyone. We are coming to nearly the end of our series, Committed as Christ, and today is Committed as Christ with Time. Um, you'll know I'm a bit of a fan of pop culture. Doctor Who is a Time Lord. Are you familiar with Doctor Who? Lovely thing about Doctor Who is it goes across all generations because he started back in the 60s. Um, or did he? You see, that's his trick. He travels through time. He's got a time machine, the TARDIS. Um, I was asked to explain what the TARDIS means. It is Time and Relative Dimension in Space. It's an acronym. It's the means that he uses. It's a lot of fun. The writers of the show have come up with all manner of fascinating time-related tricks. And of course, it's just a silly series because no one can travel through time or control time, or can they? Because it does seem to me that uh, there's a new thesis every couple of weeks. Now, I'm working on a thesis myself, being an expert in this field, and I'm beginning to wonder whether time really exists or whether it's just a construct that we have to measure what's going on in a limited creation. Are time and space real? There's one to ponder. Bigger brains than mine have been working hard at it. And uh, the lovely thing is that um, what we do know is that God is beyond space and time that God is transcendent beyond space, that God is eternal beyond time. And um, if you have a look at your watch or your phone and you look at your stopwatch or your alarm, it's just got a finite in-time shelf life. The thing I think that correlates most with reality and for our lifetimes is the countdown. I know that there's a number of our youngsters amongst us who are counting down to ignite, 12 weeks to go. Then the event happens. And in reality, you and I are on a countdown too because there will come a day when we meet Jesus face to face. Whether that's when we go to be with him 
or whether that's when he returns for all of us is unknown, but everyone and everything is on that countdown, preparing for timelessness, preparing for eternity. Uh, just this last week or so, I watched a documentary on Netflix. It is called A Trip to Infinity. It was fascinating. It was well beyond my pay grade in terms of thinking about maths and physics, but what did delight me at the end of it is nobody agreed and nobody really knows. The experts fail us, and that's because general revelation can only get us so far. It's why we need special revelation through the Word of God. And so when you and I come together and sit under God's Word, we can know things that the experts only long to know. And we are told in the Word of God that the eternal God came into this temporary creation in which we live. In the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, who took on the economy of this creation, who came to save us, to save us from our sins and to save us from our failings, committed to a cross in his love for us. The question for us in response to his grace to us is what will we do with the time he has given us until we meet him face to face? That's the big idea for us today. If Christ was committed to us, how will we commit our time to him. It's an easy thing, I think, for us to um, grip tightly to the temporary things of this world. In doing so, we kind of loosen our grip on the future things of eternity. My hope is today that we shall tighten our grips on the things of eternity, that we might loosen our grip on the things of the temporary. And we need God's help for that. So would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the gift of this time in this lifetime to invest in eternal outcomes. Your word assures us that what will endure into eternity is the very person of God who is there already. But also the people of God will endure and your promises to us will endure. So we take a moment again to remember that when the people who are called by your name humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways, then you will hear from heaven and forgive our sins and heal us. And so we pray, Father God, now that you would enable us to do this, to press into things eternal, to loosen our grip on things temporal, that we might spend this time well in your sight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, back in Deuteronomy chapter 32, at the very end of Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament written by Moses, uh, we have some words preserved for us. It says, When Moses finished reciting all the words to Israel, he said to them, take to heart all these words I've solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They're not just idle words for you. They are your life. These are the life-giving words of God. And this week, 
amongst our Jewish friends has been the celebration of Simchat Torah. And as we think about what it means to be a reading remnant, I want to take us on a little journey through this Jewish celebration. Every week, in every synagogue, God's words to Moses in Torah are read. And this week, it's the culmination of a whole year of reading. It is the final week of the reading of Bible portions following that joyous Jewish festival of Sukkot we looked at last week. The very last day is Simchat Torah, or in uh, its literal meaning, rejoicing in the Word of God, rejoicing in Torah. And the first thing I want us to notice is that when we come to the Word of God, blessings come with reading it. We're told that all Scripture is God-breathed, and that Scripture is given for our instruction. And as this week I've considered our Jewish friends and brothers and sisters, as they've taken those scrolls that have been read during the course of the year, and then they wind them up and re-unwind them, and begin again at Genesis, it's just shown me the joy with which Jewish people look and regard Torah. In fact, as a tradition, they take those scrolls and they dance around synagogue with them in appreciation of God's gift of his word. How much more so for us, who know that every word of God points to his Messiah. Every promise of God we read in 2 Corinthians 1 finds its fulfillment in Jesus' Messiah. And one aspect of being a follower of Jesus is that we share his love for the word of God. We share his love for the scriptures. Now, of course, only Jesus' Messiah perfectly lived out the word of God. Only he was able to fulfill the word of God. But we do learn from him to value the word of God and to strive in his strength to obey it. And so as I look at Simchat Torah, and my Jewish friends who have such a regard for the Word of God, it challenged me this week to think about whether we, as the people of God who know Messiah, hold his Word in the same regard. Do we read his Word daily? Not as a function of discipline or necessity, but so that we might know the author, that we might know God better and know his mind and seek in his strength to live it out in our lives. I've realized during the course of the last year that I've spent a lot of time in God's word, but a lot of the time I've not really been as engaged as I would have liked. I've felt like it's been a bit perfunctory. At other times I've just felt confused. But there are days in which I feel a deep connection with my Father in heaven. And I want to start again this year and rededicate myself, recommit myself to the reading of God's Word. If you like with my Jewish friends to begin again at the beginning, at the beginning of Genesis and to work through. And I wonder whether you might join me in that commitment, that covenant, if perhaps you too have felt that you've gone a little bit off track. Or perhaps you've felt that you haven't really connected so much with your Father in heaven, but it's just been a matter of a discipline in and of itself. And the other thing that struck me was, do I come to the Word of God expecting to hear His voice? 
do I really expect to hear God's voice and not only to hear it, but also to obey it? And in doing so, know the joy of the freedom of being in his good, pleasing and perfect will and to know him better. That's been a challenge to me this week. And I wonder if you join me on that journey. It's not just for a week, it's, it's for a year. <laughs> and maybe we could chat more about it over morning tea. The Word of God is the center of everything that God's people do. And I thought it was rather lovely how as we were on our journey through Nehemiah this week, the Word of God is absolutely central to what's going on for God's remnant people in that day. Building on a foundation. Uh, remember how Ezra and Nehemiah is a single work by one author. It's in our Bibles as two books, but it describes how the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and God's temple. How they took the Israelites out of God's land and into exile. Not a surprise to God because God knew this from the beginning and not a surprise to God because they had failed to live up to his word and in accordance with his law and this is what he said would happen. But the story so far in their exile is that 50 years later, God had made it possible for some of them to return to the land. The plan was to try to rebuild the temple and to set things right with God. And you remember how these two books describe three key leaders whom God used to bring them back. The first was Zerubbabel, uh, the next was Ezra, and the third was Nehemiah. And Zerubbabel enabled the first wave to arrive and build the foundations for the temple. And then we see Nehemiah, who was the one who enabled the walls to be built around the city and security to come to them. But right in the center, there's Ezra, the pastor, the preacher, and he is the one who teaches them Torah, the Word of God, the foundation for rebuilding the community of God. And so it is that reading of Torah, reading the Word of God, is absolutely central to what it means to be the people of God. Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 and 18 describe how Ezra, the teacher of the law, brings out the book of the law of Moses, which God had commanded for Israel. From the very first day to the last day, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. I mean, that's a Bible reading marathon, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine the description that we had of going from the beginning of the morning to midday, and that happened every day for seven days, and then on the eighth day, there was finally that wonderful celebration, a description of what we saw last week with the Feast of Tabernacles. But Ezra reads the word of God to God's people so that they might remember who they are and what God has done for them. From the story of creation, from his promises to Abraham as the founder, then through their experience in Egypt and being saved by God and then the giving of the law. And it gave them an opportunity to rejoice in the new freedom they'd experienced from this exile. An opportunity to repent of their sins and to recall God's redemption according to promise. And everything looks wonderfully rosy in these chapters. Now, I hate to break it to you. Those who've read ahead know this already, but there's a big twist 
in the plot as we get to the end of Nehemiah, and things don't look quite as shiny next week, but that's for next week. For now, I just want us to sit with the fact that God's people are in God's place, sitting under God's word, and doing so with joy. And it's all according to the timing of God. And that was for a generation. I think in a way, today, we're losing touch with that intergenerational experience, aren't we? I think there's a great opportunity for us to remember who we are in history and to think about the legacy that has been left for us and the legacy that we might leave for others. There's a chance for us to do that in a special way next week on Monday night when we come together for our Jubilee. And I'd love you to join me in praying that that will be a great time of calibration for us, for us to appreciate God's timing, but also for us to think about what it means for us to be leaving a centenary legacy. Now, um, I'm a great fan of Pink Floyd. I don't know whether you know the band, but they wrote a song back in the 70s called Time. And it goes like this, ticking away the moments that make up a dull day, fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way, kicking around on a piece of ground in your hometown, looking for someone or something to show you the way, tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain, you are young and life is long and there is time to kill today. And then one day you find, ten years have got behind you, no one told you when to run, you missed the starting gun. It's a profound lyric, isn't it? My challenge for us today is to think about, brothers and sisters, how it is that we only last a lifetime and that every moment, every second God has given us here is his grace gift to us and that every second that we have here can impact eternity. And the challenges that come with time for you and me. We're going to look now at that reading from Hebrews, and the first thing I want you to see in uh, verses 7 to 9 is this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus did indeed come into the economy of creation and subjected himself to time and space. But he was the one who conquered sin and death. He was the one who was raised to life, and he is the one who lives now for all eternity. There's much about this that we can understand, and there's much about this that we cannot yet understand. But the wonderful thing that remains true according to the Word of God is that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so as we dedicate ourselves to the reading of the Word of the Lord, I wonder whether we might give thanks to God for those who've taught us about Jesus. To give thanks for the leaders who spoke the Word of God to us and for those who gave us an imitation of faith that we might follow them in our lives. Who was it who first spoke the word of God to you? Who was it that nurtured you in your early days walking with the Lord Jesus, who discipled you and led you in the ways of his word? Those people are worth our thanks, aren't they? 
thanks to God and perhaps even thanks to them. I was thinking this week about those who were the early influence in my life in my late 20s. There were many of them. They were good role models. And then I got to thinking, am I a good role model? Do we aspire to become good models of Bible teaching and Bible living that we might honor the Lord Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And how we might spend our time pursuing becoming those who will be the ones that others wish to imitate? Is that a way in which we can think about spending our time to grow in our discipleship and discipline for the good of others? The second thing I got to thinking about as I was reading Hebrews 13 and verses 10 to 12 is that there was a sacrifice that had been made over many years across many generations that was utterly ineffective. It was all a shadow of what was to come in the fullness of Jesus' sacrifice. And I feel that sometimes I can be tempted to use these times in ways that serve only for now. It got me to thinking about how Jesus will return and how his grace gift to us in time is for our sanctification and how to use this time well to invest in the relationships that will last forever. So the very fact that we've come together today as church to sit under the word of God and to encourage one another, listening to his promises, is wonderful. So let me say, well done for being here. Isn't it good to gather as God's people and to encourage one another in the fact that we eat from his altar? That the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us is real and enduring and is working out in our lives. Now, of course, you might be a little cynical and say to yourself, Robin, you're paid to be here. You've got to be here. But let's be honest, I could be doing something else. It's a good thing when folks set themselves aside for the full-time task of ministry. And I'm here with joy. Otherwise, I would be doing something else. But also, every one of us has an opportunity to use our time, don't we, to serve others? I mean, I've, we've just had the musos up here on, on the platform leading us in song and worship, and they take time to practice together. They take time to serve us. After our official time together, we're going to go out and we're going to have food and tea and treats, and there'll be those who will serve us, and then we'll spend time talking with one another to encourage one another to grow us up in the Lord Jesus and once again, let me say to each and every one of us, well done for investing this way because that is all part of the preparation for our eternal home, making us more and more like Jesus day by day, preparing us to meet him in eternity. But I also got to thinking about the challenge in verses 13 to 14 about the nature of the lasting sacrifice, how Jesus suffered as the sacrifice outside the gate that his blood was poured out to cleanse God's people from sins for good, so that as his people we should go to him outside to share in his contempt, having no lasting place here, but looking forward to the coming eternal city. And if a temporary sacrifice was a shadow of the fullness of Jesus' sacrifice, we can also be tempted to use time in ways which only serve us as his family. 
where's the rub for us in taking time to serve others in sharing the good news of Jesus? As we look forward to our eternal home, having confidence to, so to speak, step outside the gate into the world to seek those who desperately need to know him. As Peter puts it in 1 Peter 3, to make the most of every opportunity to give reason for hope. I was thinking through with my family some of the ideas that we might, might share about ways in which to continue to give this hope to others and share this hope with others. Have you thought about having a baptism within your family to which you might invite all your unbelieving family? Have you thought about the ways in which you might be able to open your home to have a hospitality with neighbours so that there might be room for conversation about your relationship with Jesus, whom they need to know? Have you thought about the possibility of maybe joining a board in a school or organisation so that your voice might be the voice of biblical wisdom to speak into the practical situations? Have you thought about the simple chat at the hairdressers? Have you thought about legal advocacy? Have you thought about the possibility of supporting a Christian charity? Have you thought about the possibility of doing some theological training or education to make those conversations go a little bit easier? How can we maximize our time in such a way that we can have the best impact for him? Now, that's just a few ideas, but I wonder whether we might take some of those away and maybe come up with some of our own to chat through and pray through uh, when we have time together after the service. I want us to finish about the f- thinking about the fact that Doctor Who claimed to have mastered time, but he never really did. <laughs> he just rode the waves of time. He traveled through time. The true Lord of time is Jesus because he is God. He is eternal, and he is transcendent, and he is forever. And here's something that might not have crossed our minds recently, but we too are forever. I was sharing with the 8 o'clock congregation who feel it a bit more keenly, but these bodies of ours are wearing out. You get to a certain age where you really just don't want to be in it anymore. The promise of Jesus is that there is a new one, a new one that will defy the logic of maths and physics because this body will be prepared for eternity. And this lifetime, we have time as God's gift for us. For many, the question is, how long do I have left? But we can't anticipate that. We're on a countdown and every second counts. I did a little calculation this week and worked out that when it comes to every second, I've had 1.6 billion so far. How many have you had? How many seconds do we have left? And how might we together make every second and every cent count for Jesus? As I say, we're coming to the end of this series, uh, Committed as Christ, and today you will have found a, a little sheet on your seat. It's our commitment card to pledge for the year ahead. We're not only talking about time but also treasures but I'd like to encourage you this week to take the time to 
pray and read through, perhaps have a read of the letter that you received over the last couple of weeks again, that we might prayerfully consider our financial partnership to be committed as Christ in furthering the gospel here at Fig Tree Anglican Church. What we will do together is take these away and then bring them back next week. And then we're going to have an opportunity to make our pledge together. Some of us will like to use the QR code. Others of us will be old school and use a pen and paper. But either way, I'd like us to consider what our commitment will be. You remember what I've said thus far about being committed? It's like the Aussie breakfast. The chicken was involved, but the pig was committed. Christ was committed to us. How will we commit our remaining time to him? Let's pray. Our gracious Father God, we thank you for the time that you have given us in this lifetime. We're sorry for the decisions that we've made where we have squandered time for things that are only temporary. We pray that as we continue to sit under your word together, that you would help us and help us help one another to see time as a grace gift from you and to use it wisely and well for all eternity. We give ourselves back to you and ask that you would help us to trust and treasure your eternal promises made to us as your people and fulfilled in Jesus our Messiah. And as we continue to approach the end of our commitment series, May this just be the first step on a fresh journey to remember the commitment of Christ to us and re-engage and recommit in our commitment to him in all things we pray. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we're going to spend some time together in taking the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Uh, we do this almost every week over at 8 o'clock, but we don't do it as frequently here at 10. But it's a very precious thing to do together. And the Lord Jesus has encouraged us to do so. Many of you will have received on the way in uh, your little packet of a wafer and fruit juice. And if you've not uh, grabbed one on the way, if you just pop your hand in the air, uh, there will be somebody who will come and give you one so that you might be able to join us in this time. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we who receive the holy communion of the body and blood of our Saviour Christ can only come because of his great love for us. For whilst we were undeserving of his love, in order to raise us from the darkness of death to everlasting life as God's sons and daughters, our Saviour Jesus humbled himself to share our life and to die on a cross. It is in remembrance of his death and as a pledge of his love that he's given us this sacrament, this outward sign of an inward reality in which we share. But those who would eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord examine ourselves and must amend our lives to come with a humble heart and steadfast faith and above all give thanks to God for his love to us in Jesus. And so it is together that we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed 
he took bread, and when he'd given you thanks, he said, take and eat this in remembrance of me. Also after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the blood given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let us take and eat this in remembrance that Christ lived the perfect life for us. On your cups now you'll find that there's a second layer in which um, we have the fruit of the vine. You might want to carefully peel that back. This is always the dangerous one. <laughs> brothers and sisters, let us drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for us and will preserve us body and soul to everlasting life. We're going to pray together the prayer that the Lord Jesus taught us, the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Oh,